Today the podcast is sponsored by Monsanto. Monsanto can't be that bad. You probably ate a bunch of Monsanto today. So how about you just chill out? Thanks for joining us at the Anecdotal Experience. I contacted Carl Malone's people last week. Nobody got back to me, but I still feel hopeful. Hey, good to have you back. Man, it's good to have you back. Today we have Jay Armstrong, the funniest person in Cincinnati. Actually, the funniest person in like the tri-state area, because people that don't even live in Cincinnati enter the contest. But he beat them. He beat those chumps. Jay's really great. He's really funny. Tells his story of being addicted to heroin. Yeah, I had no idea what that's like. Couldn't relate. But I know a little better now. Man, it's good. You're going to learn a lot. You're in for it. You're going to be sad. You're going to feel better. You're going to understand redemption. It's good. Uh, All right, my stuff. iTunes reviews. If you're on an iPhone right now, you are dangerously close to just leaving a rating or review. Figure it out. Get a t-shirt. Let's do this. I love this episode. Let's do this thing with Jay Armstrong. Now, so at that same time, there was an Oxycontin epidemic that was hitting the country. Uh, in Kentucky, uh, it was such a problem. That here, here's kind of what happens. Like, the government will see a problem, mm-hmm. and they will hammer down on that problem and then there's unintended consequences right so meth was a big problem in kentucky Mm -hmm. Uh, so they started hammering the dealers yeah so it became too dangerous to sell meth in a lot of places yeah so what they did is they switched to selling prescription narcotics yeah so then that became the problem so they hammered down on prescription narcotics and so people moved on to heroin so not only was there less consequences uh, for the heroin, but also it's a lot easier to up your, your profit point on heroin uh, because a Vicodin is a Vicodin. Yeah. You can't make a Vicodin two Vicodins. Inter- okay, so we're, but we're, you can we're, take into gram- the, we're into the drug stuff now. Explain right. this to us because most of us haven't heroin. done heroin. Yeah, you okay. can take a gram. I mean, it's powder. You know okay. what I mean? Like say you have... Uh, Oh, you can cut it with something? Right. Say you're in your kitchen. You know what I mean? You have a cup of sugar and a cup of flour. What's the difference? You fucking mix them together. You have two cups of whatever you want to say it is. Yeah. Uh, So it's the same with heroin. You can cut it down. Yeah. uh, Especially the powdered kind. With the tar, it's a little different. Out west, they do it. Uh, They just dilute it. uh, Yeah. Some people even put coffee in it, like instant coffee, because when you get instant coffee wet, it kind of looks like that same shit. Really? Wow, man. Uh, But so... The market for heroin explodes in Kentucky, and not just Kentucky, but all across the country because mm-hmm. all kinds of places hammer down on the prescription right. narcotic thing. At that same time, the supply of heroin boomed because we deposed Saddam and then Gaddafi after that. You know, so there's a ton more heroin to be had. Yeah. And there's a ton more people trying to sell it. And addicts are finding that it's a hell of a lot cheaper than Oxycontin, and it does a lot more for you than Oxycontin does. So it's the same kind of high, but it's more intense. It lasts longer, and it's cheaper. Just like better. It's yeah. it, it's insane to continue to do oxycontin. You know. Yeah, yeah. All right, dude. You know what? Let's talk. Let's do. Let's talk about your experience with heroin, man. So let's my get experience into it. was this: uh, the first time uh, I had a drinking problem very early on. How old? Uh, how old? The first time someone told me that I was probably alcoholic, I was fourteen. Okay. Uh, so here's the thing. The reason I started drinking, uh, the, the, well, the way that it happened, I grew up in a hardline Southern Baptist household, okay. right? And, and when I say that, I don't mean the kind of Baptist you see in movies and TV where on Sunday they're in church praising Jesus and saying you shouldn't drink. And then mm-hmm. on Saturday night, they're in clan robes and selling moonshine and shit, you okay. know, which is kind of how Southern Baptists are portrayed in TV. You know what I mean? The guys beat their wives. They drank moonshine. They're a bunch of hillbillies. Yeah, but they love God. But yeah, yeah. Or, well, they, they want to make sure that you love God in the right way or you're fucking going to hell, okay. you know, which is kind of how it's been branded on television. Right. Uh, that's not how my church was, though. Like the church that I grew up in, like those people said you shouldn't drink and then they didn't drink. Okay, so they were pretty straight edge. 
Yeah, I mean, they follow, the they try to live, you know, by yeah. the Bible. Okay. Uh, which, you know, the way that, uh, you know, I saw how to treat women is very different than what people try to explain is biblical. Because in the Bible, it says, yes, a man has dom- dominion over his wife, but it also says that he's to respect his wife, you know, as he's, she's himself, mm-hmm. you know, so... There's two things to that. It's right. not just you get to tell her what to do all the time. It's yes, you do. You do get to tell her what to do. Yeah. If you're being just and respectful and reasonable. Yeah, read the you know whole Bible. I mean? Don't yeah. just read the verses that make it okay for you to hit your wife. Right. And that's yeah. what people do everywhere. Twist religion into totally. their own but anyway, the church I grew up in wasn't like that. Okay. You know, uh So it's good. These are like you good these are good, good and not good. Good in in a way that if you're a normal, well-adjusted kid and you can just continue that tradition, it's fine. But you... But if you're a damaged person who can't live up to that... Uh, so I'm, I'm adopted, right? And okay. I, I've always known that I was adopted. I don't, I don't remember a time. I don't even remember finding out. I just remember that I've always known. Okay. So that set me apart mm-hmm. uh, from all the kids that I went to school with. Now, my father being a very hardline Southern Baptist dude... Uh, he didn't know a whole lot about child discipline, and even as a country, they two didn't, brothers and sisters. Uh, not that I've ever met. I have some blood, you know, some actual oh, got biological. It, you were raised and alone. I was raised as, okay. as an only child. Uh, my dad raised me the way that he was raised, very heavy handed, you know, physical discipline. Okay, yeah, it's just how it is, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, a lot of the country was like that then. You yeah. know, it was definitely way more acceptable to hit your kids. You getting hit like everywhere, all over the place, like on your body. Um, mainly, mainly spankings. Yeah, I was uh, for the most part. Uh, and like back of the leg type stuff. Okay, you know, uh, he didn't see any of what he did as abuse. Okay, he did the absolute best that he knew how to do. You know what I mean? And everything that he did was genuinely what he thought was in my best interest. Yeah, good dad, just trying to do the right thing. Right, exactly. And that's how he saw it, and that's how I see it now, but that's not how I seen it then. Okay. Uh, And it was uh, was excessive uh, at times. And I did not know, I didn't even know that it was excessive at times. Uh, You know, when I found out that something was wrong, I had fallen asleep in church. I was eight or nine years old. Yeah. And he took me out onto the front steps of the church and was, you know, meeting out punishment and uh a dude pulled up in this rusted out dark green car and he jumps out and he says you lay another hand on that kid and i'll beat your ass right here on the house of the lord and i was like that guy's mad what's wrong with that guy (laughs) this is just normal to you yeah and you know the way you grow up you assume everyone else is experiencing the exact same thing you have no idea and um so so i was terrified i was Mm -hmm. terrified of my father I was terrified of, of hellfire, eternal hellfire and damnation that I was taught in church. Yeah. So I was, I was afraid all the time. The other thing about the church that I grew up in, at a lot of churches, most churches now, they do an altar call at the end. And yeah. the pastor will say, hey, if you want to be saved, come to the front of the church. We'll say a prayer together. We'll get you saved. Yeah. And you can go to heaven. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that's not how it is in like a real hardline Southern Baptist church. Salvation is something that happens between you and, and God through His Son Jesus Christ, and you will feel it in your heart and know that you're saved. And so they then, don't do the altar calls. They just, do, but it's different. Okay. Uh, when you go to the front of a church like that, it's only to declare to the congregation that it's happened and to okay. express your interest in being baptized and joining the church. Oh, uh, so it's like a personal thing. It's and a then personal you tell thing, people. right? Yeah, and so. And I think that's where a lot of my distaste for the Catholic Church comes from, mm-hmm. uh, is because they they intercede for you, like you have no direct personal relationship with the Creator. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and in my church, as wrong as they are about a lot of things, you know, I think that's the one thing you that they have, right? That, you know, that it's between and, you and, and to God. this day, I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, which I have a weird view of spirituality and God and the universe, which is way too much for us to get into. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, no, let's keep it going. So. So I'm terrified all the time, and I feel different all the time. I feel unwanted. How does an altercation, by the way, end? And like, how, how he grabbed you... he grabbed me up, and we ran back into the church. Okay, was uh, your dad remorseful, and or was he just just scared? No, that guy was just an asshole. Oh, really? That guy it, to me, it seemed like that guy was looking out for you. Well, no, he was. I'm saying from my oh, father's got perspective, it. from your dad. Yeah, okay. The guy is an asshole. He's buttoning yeah. a business that he has. You know, I mean, it's not his business. Got it. And, okay. Uh, but anyway, I mean, I fell asleep in church. That's that's what I was getting it for, and um, okay. 
So, I mean, it was little stuff, but I was terrified. Well, anyway, back to the church thing. Uh, So, I already am terrified Mm -hmm. all throughout life, and I don't want to spend the rest of eternity, you know, fucking tortured and punished in hell. So, you know, I started praying and talking to God, you know, please save me. I don't want that after this. I can't do that after this, please. Were you so miserable? Uh, I was afraid. I don't know that I would have said miserable at the time. Yeah. Uh, but I was definitely terrified a lot. And uh, yeah, I never felt that change in my heart that they told me I would feel. Oh. So now I'm at a point in my life where my real parents don't want me. Mm-hmm. God does not want me. Uh, if I ever do anything wrong, I'm getting the shit kicked out of me. Uh so you're waiting on a you're waiting on a feeling to know you're getting came. into heaven. And it never came. Okay. And uh so I just assumed, you know, my, my mom didn't want me. Why would God want me? Uh so I felt unwanted, I felt different, I felt set apart, and I was afraid all the time. When I was twelve years old, I had a couple of drinks of alcohol at uh a friend of mine's parents' New Year's Eve party when I was like twelve or thirteen. Yeah. And almost I wanna say 10, 15 minutes after taking a couple of drinks of this shitty hot damn cinnamon schnapps yeah i felt normal but how so i felt like you look i didn't feel afraid i didn't feel set apart i didn't feel unwanted all that anxiety all that really? depression all that lifted. terror all of it lifted completely after a couple after a few drinks of alcohol wow. and that was a sense of ease and comfort that i pursued you know I, totally. i'm going to do this every chance i get yeah and uh so at 14, what was the con? I'm sorry. What was the context of you drinking that alcohol? Were you with buddies? I was were you with in, my friend Mike. So you were in like a he safe had stolen space. Some of, yeah, we were at his his house. Okay. And uh, he had stolen some of the, like airplane sized, you know, the travel sized yeah, bottles of hot damn. Yeah. Okay. And uh, we drank a few of those. And uh, were you expecting anything like that? No. It just happened. But what I did know for sure after it happened was that the reason my parents were telling me not to drink alcohol is because they wanted me to feel the way that I felt normally. You That that was your thought? That's what I thought, yeah. You thought your parents wanted These you to be fucking terrified. liars, yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I thought. Well, I mean, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, make sure this on. But, uh, yeah, that makes sense if you, you know, if all of a sudden this thing that your parents are like, don't you dare, because this is the devil. And then you right. do it and you finally feel, you feel normal. feel okay, normal. Yeah. yeah, I was judging my insides by everyone else's outsides, right? Totally. Like they felt, everybody, come to find out, you know, growing up, way more people feel fucked up right. than I ever would have thought as a child. Because they I seem thought, so normal. I thought I was different, Yeah, you know? Uh, so that started becoming a problem, not super quick, you okay. know? But, it like, uh, but there would be flare-ups here and there where I would have way too much on accident. Yeah. And say or do something crazy or get in trouble or whatever. Uh, it became such a problem by the time I was 16 that I was hanging out with these dudes that were like 21 to 25. Yeah. And uh, they were like, look, man, you can't drink here anymore. And I'm like, that's fucked up. You know, because now I'm at a point where people want me to feel bad again. Right. You know, and uh, they were like, we're not saying like you can't get fucked up, but you can't drink alcohol here. <laughs> here anymore because you're a liability you do the craziest shit you say the craziest shit cops keep coming what were you doing like what type of just belligerent, uh, fighting people just stupid okay uh, stupid shit pissing myself pissing on the floor like whatever you know what i mean but that, you still felt good i felt better than i did sober i don't know that good is good may be a misnomer got it but i definitely felt better yeah uh and you I, like doing it with people and, yeah and uh, I mean, I would do it by myself too. It didn't matter if I right. had a bottle and I was at my house, I was drinking. Right. Uh, but these people are rejecting you now, which right. feels bad. And so what they say is, this is what we've been doing. And they uh, pulled out some Dilaudids, which is uh, opiate narco- uh, prescription opiate narcotic. Uh, these people that are kicking you out. They're not kicking me out. They're telling me I can't drink there. Okay. But uh, they have an alternative. But they have an alternative. Okay. They do. Yeah. And uh, so we crush them up and we shoot them. And I felt wait, that wait, wait, wait. Sh- you shoot him in your in your arm, right? You wow, intravenously. Did you have any of, sort of reservations at all, or just no? No, because here's the thing: uh, I was told that alcohol was the devil. Like alcohol is evil; it's always evil. There's never a good use for alcohol. Yeah. Like when we did communion at my church, it was grape juice. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took Dare, which told me that a drug is a drug is a drug. Heroin's terrible. 
marijuana is terrible. Now, yeah. during those times, equally between, terrible. Right, equally terrible. Mm-hmm. A drug is a drug is a drug. It's yep. the same shit. Uh, it's all illegal. It's all bad. Right. And it's because they're viewing it from a law enforcement standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a criminal issue. It's not a human uh, a human health crisis. Right. Uh, that it's become. And, it, and, and anyway, uh, so during that time, I had met some people to smoke weed, and I started smoking weed. You know what I mean? And weed's not bad. So right. just like with alcohol, they lied to me about weed, so they're lying to me about everything. So I would try anything. Okay. Uh, the list the list of drugs that I haven't done mainly includes drugs that have come into existence since I got sober. Wow. Uh, you know, meth, PCP, barbiturates, all the different fucking prescriptions. Yeah. Like I, during that, you know, the time I was using, I you know, You'll I never tried know. everything. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but so you were smoking, you were smoking so, so weed smoking before, pot, yeah, before this right. uh, opium. Yeah, and I okay, had taken cool. some prescription pills, you know, yeah, uh, and whatnot. So. I, I, I took I did the shot. Uh, well, I mean, they hit me. I didn't know how to do it right off right away. You know what I mean? They had to show me how to do it. And uh, that ease and comfort that came from taking a few drinks was there almost as beautifully as it was the very first time. Yeah. Only I had control of myself. You know, I didn't fight cops. I didn't fucking try to jump out a window. I didn't do any of the crazy shit that I was doing. Mm. It's like a fucking miracle. Yeah. And, and so right then I was like, I'm not ever drinking again. This is where it's at for me. This is this is the miracle that I've been looking for. And uh, there's no so there's no thought to you of like this could be bad. I could have died and I wouldn't have cared at that point. You were so you know low. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean yeah. it's just uh, I'm an extremely damaged child at that point. I was only 16. You know, when you're 16, you don't feel like a child, but a 16 year old is a child. Yeah. You know, looking back, I was an extremely damaged child that had absolutely no solution to his problem. But so you I got knew, the relief. And right, I got the relief, that and that, that's yeah. all that mattered. I'm mm-hmm. not fixing the problem at all. Yeah. But I am no longer suffering the consequences of the damage that's been incurred to me. Yeah. Some by my own fault, some by sets of circumstances. I don't blame, I'm not a victim. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? Like, just I was trying to make it better. Yeah. I, uh, well, I mean, even looking back, like there was a lot of stuff that was out of my control. No one victimized me on purpose. It's just the way things went, and I ended up being a super fucked up, damaged kid. Mm hmm. Uh, and I take full responsibility for the road that I took, yeah. you know, into addiction and, and homelessness and prison and all the other shit that came along with it. Yeah. But uh, so that first day they had to audit. They actually told me that it was heroin. And then they were like, well, we don't have any of that right now. And in 1996, it wasn't prevalent. You know what I mean? It wasn't okay. like even the other people that we were taking drugs with, like we didn't tell them. You know, like these guys have been doing dope for a year or more without telling me. And when I say dope, I always mean heroin. Uh, so they were like, we're going to let you into the club. Basically, yeah. Uh, because you can't drink anymore. Right. An and, and we don't want to kick you out. And we, See, mm. there's that point in most alcoholics, like through every night of drinking, where everything's perfect. Mm-hmm. It works the way that it's supposed to. I'm socially lubricated. I can talk to people. I'm funny. You know what yeah, I mean? That social anxiety has gone. Yeah. But then you get past that peaking point, man. And, it, and it's all yeah. fucking shit rolled downhill from there. Yep. Uh, but I didn't do that you know, with the heroin. And uh, so, you know, months go by and I'm using every day mm-hmm. and, and I have all kinds of different stupid scams that I'm running and shoplifting and, and taking shit back and just getting money. Right. Admit, right. Yeah. Hustling. And uh, how long does it last? I mean, I'm just curious. I don't know anything about it. It like, all depends on where you are and your tolerance okay. and your addiction. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, in the early days, $20 would get me through a day feeling pretty good. Wow. You know, but, 20 bucks. Right. And uh, which is why the, the the price point on it is one of the main reasons, excuse me, why all the Oxycontin addicts just fucking flock to it when it started becoming more available. Cause because it's so cheap. Because, I mean, you're spending 100 bucks on Oxycontin to make it through a day, to make it through a day. We're not even talking about being high. Yeah. And suddenly they can be high for 40 bucks. Jeez. Not just well. Uh so all right, you're, so you're you're just doing weird stuff to get money to buy the dope, right? You know, and real petty shit for the most part. Running, yeah. you know, scams, fake checks. Uh, yeah. One of the things that I did is uh, I'm the third, right? So my father and my grandfather had the same name. My grandfather died when I was 12, so I opened a bunch of credit cards in his name mm-hmm. when I was like 16 and 17. Yeah, and you know, I would do cash withdrawals off of that, or I would buy merchandise and sell it, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I went to San Francisco for the first time. During that time, I bought three round-trip plane tickets with a credit card for someone who had been dead for 10 years almost. Uh, 
So, I mean, there were good times. You know, I mean, that sounds crazy to call it that. But at the time, it was fun, and I was nowhere near ready to stop. So, you're you know? flying to San Francisco while you're I addicted was, to drugs? I was 17, yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, the guys I was with were like 23 and 26. And so, they they didn't drink, but I did. And, and I would go back and forth between alcohol and heroin, right? Mm-hmm. So, I would... I had this idea that I had just started drinking hard liquor too young and my body didn't have the ability to process it. But that if I could lay off of it for a little while and give my body time to grow and mature, that you one day I'd be able to drink. Yeah. Right? And uh, well, here's the funniest part about that. That first night that I drank when I was 12, we drank a bunch of them little bottles. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I passed out. Yeah. I blacked out. Only remember about half the night. And I pissed myself in my sleep. Mm-hmm. October 31st of 2005 is the last time that I drank alcohol, Halloween of 2005. Mm -hmm. And that night I drank too much and I passed out and I blacked out and don't remember hardly any of the night. And I woke up after pissing myself. So the exact same thing that I did that very first time, I did the last time 13 years later. Mm -hmm. So obviously it's not... The body's not You're mature. The same and I'm guy. fucking 25 that at that point. Weird science you convinced right. yourself is just horseshit. And, and, and that's what, uh, you know, that's what we do, though, alcoholics and drug addicts. We we, we justify all, and yeah. rationalize, mm-hmm. you know, dude, every everyone, terrible thing. Even not even drug addicts, man. Like extending it further, how often do we all just excuse our poor behavior with some sort of excuse? You right, know? right, and yeah. uh, you know, and and that's the way a lot of people look at calling alcoholism and drugs addiction a, a disease. Yeah, you know, uh. Here's the thing, like, I'm not responsible for getting alcoholism. Yeah. Right? I am responsible for what I do about it. Yeah, because you can control it. Right. Well, I can't control my alcoholism. I can treat my alcoholism. Uh, So it's either total abstinence or it's total insanity. Right. There is no, like, control. Like, control is is an illusion to an alcoholic. And we all have this... uh, this delusion that one day we'll regain control. Do you and feel that way now? No, I, I do not. You, okay. uh, I, I am fully convinced uh, that I'm alcoholic. I'm fully convinced that I'm a drug addict and that I can never safely use drugs or alcohol again. Yeah. And that's why 10 years sober, I still treat my disease with the same aftercare procedures that yeah. I treated it as soon as I was out of drug drug treatment. Dude, that's what, it's, that's what it's all about. Just knowing yourself and saying, look, I know who Jay Armstrong is and Jay Armstrong can't have a drink. Right. And, and here's the thing about that, though. Like, everything that I've done since then has been made possible because of my sobriety. Mm-hmm. Like, I wouldn't be a comic at all had it not been for sobriety. Yeah. And I would not be comfortable on stage like I am had it not been for sobriety. You know, and, and I talked to, uh, you know, some of these newer guys a lot, and they get real drunk before they get on stage. Mm-hmm. Right. And, it becomes a problem because they never really experienced that stage fright without yeah. a mitigating chemical substance, mm-hmm. you know, so they can't get over it. But if you just start sober and continue sober, right? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't have anything against drinking alcohol, mm-hmm. but I do think especially newer comics should not drink until they get off a of stage. Yeah. You know, experience you know that terror because i mean it's terrifying you know yeah. especially early on to go mm-hmm. up there in front of people and bury your soul yeah uh you know these these are the thoughts and feelings ideas that i have please yeah. give me your approval you know what i mean it's so terrifying yeah so and i understand why people drink and use you know before they get up to, to mitigate that yeah. uh but if you experience it and you live in it and you remember it you get over it a lot faster than if you skirt around it the whole time and it's just like anything if you avoid it long enough it's just going to pile up and get worse right and then you're going to end up at a point where it's crucial that you do well but for some reason you can't get alcohol or weed or pills or whatever it is that you do yeah your ritual right to to temper that stage fright and then you're in a bad position yeah you know (laughs) at any point in time you're never going to be forced to perform drunk but you may be forced to performs like sober yeah. sober yeah absolutely and it's also afforded me opportunities you know uh i've performed at aa and na conventions and at treatment centers and mm-hmm. at like uh i say non-denominational because it's not like aa or na or any specific recovery but like non-denominational recovery events yeah where it's just like mm-hmm. a celebration of recovery of right. all kinds you yeah. know uh yeah totally let's um yeah, I mean, let's let's kick it let's kick it back to you, um, and 
getting kind of into the opium and you are at the point where 20 bucks will get you through. Right. So I start using every day. And when you use opiate narcotics every day, your body becomes used to it and it takes more and more. Uh, Right. Not even just to get you high, but to get you to feel normal because you start feeling sick when you wake up. What's it like? Is it like the flu? It's kind I mean, it's kind of like the flu. Like all your joints hurt. Uh, You have trouble sleeping. A lot of bile in your throat. Waking up with bile in your throat is terrible. It's like waking up with heartburn every day. And it's fucking awful. And I'm prone to migraines, so being dope sick would trigger migraines for me a lot. Is dope sick just the worst thing you'll ever experience? Uh, I would say no. Really? No, I mean, I've experienced... I mean, I've experienced some things emotionally that are way worse than any kind of physical pain. Yeah. You know, and then as far as physical pain goes, like, I have a pretty high threshold for it. Like, Mm -hmm. I've been walking around on a torn ACL for, like, eight years. Yeah. You know, and uh, the reason I won't get it fixed, again, because I had it fixed once. Because you need narcotics? Because I refuse to take the narcotics. Yeah. Uh, I refuse to take any pain meds. I'll take Advil or aspirin if something hurts so bad I can hardly stand it. Yeah. Uh, But I go and do squats Mm -hmm. at the gym with a fucking torn ACL. You know what I mean? It hurts. I broke two vertebrae in my back, and I didn't take any pain pain meds for it at all. Wow, man. Um, I mean, it's dedicated, I'm, and people think it's like tough guy shit. I even had a doctor tell me, and uh, he he was an African immigrant, and he was super jolly. You yeah. know what I mean? Big oh, yeah, smile on his face yeah. and kind of a big belly. Uh-huh. He's like, bro, you don't have to play the tough guy with yeah. me. Like, I'm your doctor. I, I will give you something for pain. Yeah. And I was like, here's the thing, man. Like, I'm not trying to make you think I'm tough. Yeah. I am terrified of what will happen if I put opiate narcotics in my body. Did he understand? Uh, yeah, we talked briefly about it, mm-hmm. and he was like, "Good for you." Yeah, that's just, he's like, "That is a different kind of tough." Right. And I was then he poked me in the belly, and he said, you "Lose this back, not hurt so bad." And oh my really? like, gosh! I wanted to poke him right back, like you fat fucker, you're right. just as big as I am. Yeah, but uh, you're the one with the messed up back. So, right, yeah, right. Yeah. Well, I broke two vertebrae, and they, I didn't even know it when it happened. Oh, you God. know, because it's not something if they don't move, you don't feel it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And I don't mean like they crumbled. This is hairline fracture. Oh, yeah, I've had it. Uh, but now I have degenerative disc disease because of it, because mm-hmm. in my mid-30s, they did start to move right. a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so now I do certain exercises, you know, mm-hmm. to keep my back strong so that my spine isn't carrying right. the weight of my big fat fucking ass. Uh, but uh, yeah, all the while, any sort of physical pain that we would all just take medication for, you now... I just suffer. Gotta deal with it. You know, Even, and it's... Yeah. Man alive, dude. It's uh, I mean, it's different. Here's the thing: like, pain is just is a is like hot or cold. You know what I mean? It's like maybe tic- it's like being tickled. It's it's uh, it's the brain's response to trauma is what it is. Right. It's like an alarm system. Like something's wrong right here. Right, know? telling you like right. something's messed up. Yeah. So I just hit the you know the reset switch and a check engine light and move along. Yeah, it just becomes the new normal. Yeah, it's just it's yeah. just part of it, and uh. You know, that's helped me in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, being able to just... And even as a kid, like, I suffered a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. You know, so the threshold is high. Uh, yeah, you're getting your ass beat all the time. Right. Yeah. It's just how it was. You know, and I fought back from time to time when I was 14. I started fighting back, you know, and... Uh, yeah. Beat up by cops a bunch. Let me rephrase that. I forced police officers to beat me up a bunch right. of this times. This isn't police brutality. It's, I mean, sometimes yeah. it was excessive, mm-hmm. you know, but the truth is, is had I not initiated that contact, right. it never would have happened, which is why when I look at the Eric Garner case, if the contact was never initiated, then that never would have happened. Yeah. So we all view the world through our own frame of reference, you know, and that's one of the things about comedy mm-hmm. is that if you have a real fucked up weird frame of reference... For, you know, especially like dark and fucked up jokes. Yeah. Uh, that audience needs to trust you and see how you could see it that way before you get there, which is why you can't do, you know, a bit about cancer or suicide in five minutes because that's right. not time for that audience to know you. They don't know yeah. who you are. They have to like you. Right. But mm-hmm. a guy like Patrice O'Neill, who has an audience who knows who he is, can open with, you know, jokes about a missing girl who right. was murdered in Because they the like Bahamas. Patrice. They, yeah. Well, it's not because they like him. I mean, they do like him. The, like, deep it's down, they like because they him. understand how he thinks. Right. See, for an audience to relate to a joke, they don't necessarily have to ex- have experienced that same thing. They don't have to see it the way that you see it. All they have to be able to do is see how you could see it that way. Right. And I think, yeah, we've talked about this on the show, but they also have to 
see how you can think that way and also see how you are a good person. I don't even think they have to see you as a good person, but as a regular person. Not, you know, someone, yeah, I don't know. We they don't even that, necessarily but... have to like you. Yeah, I think they do. I mean, there are people that like, play the heel, just like in the, you know, the WWE, the bad guys. People love the bad guys. They don't like them, but they love them. That's true. That's a different, we'll get into it. We'll do a different podcast for that. But yeah, but man. Yeah, so, so at 21, I got a possession of heroin charge. And I represented myself in court, and I talk about this on stage. But okay. uh, I got probation, and uh, I violated that probation enough times to where, even though my PO wanted to show me compassion, she couldn't. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was out of her hands, and uh, you just had you had to use. I didn't have any choice. I have, I'm a drug addict with untreated drug addiction. You know, and so yeah. it got to the point where I would rather die than live another day the way I was living. Yeah. Right. So. Mm-hmm. I actually went, the first thing I did is I checked into uh, the psych ward and told them, you know, I want to fucking kill myself. I can't take it anymore. Yeah. And uh, they prescribed me a few different things. Librium, uh, Kalanidine, which is not Kalanapin, but Kalanidine. Okay. It's a blood pressure medicine. It will make you feel better when you're going through opioid withdrawals. Okay. Uh, And the Librium kind of, you know, keeps that anxiety off you a little bit. And are these narcotics or not? Well, the Librium one. is a uh, is a benzodiazepine. It's the same class as like Xanax or Valium. Okay. Or Klonopin. Uh So I stayed there for like two days and I just couldn't take it anymore. I was so sick. At that time, I was doing like two grams of heroin every day. So was and, it, okay, I guess I really want to talk about like, is it the physical pain you're going through from the withdrawal or is it the fact that you just want to get high? Two, well, it's not even want to get high. It's don't want to feel the way that I currently feel. The, oh, dude, and I isn't that it's anything's better than this? Yeah. So, I actually went to I, I left the psych ward. All right. They kicked me out. Uh, Why would they kick you out? Because after seventy two hours, they you're you. no longer a threat to yourself. You know, they keep you under observation, and as long as you tell them, you know, I don't want to kill myself anymore, they fucking they put you out. You know what I mean? Okay. They so need they that bed you. for somebody else. There's fucking mental health problems, and there's yeah. not a whole lot of beds for people who are have mental health issues. Yeah. Uh, You can thank Ronald Reagan for that one uh, when he cut all the money. But anyway, so I go to my family doctor and I'm like, look, I just was in the psych ward and and this guy is, he's close to retirement and he's in his 80s. And he's like, what were they giving you for, you know, to deal with the withdrawal? I was totally honest with him. Yeah. Been doing heroin for years. Uh, I fucking... And at this point, are you like, are you clean since leaving the yeah like three days three days I clean. Had like three days clean which with heroin withdrawal the third and fourth day are the worst days you feel so I feel just fucking awful so i go i get an appointment with my family right. doctor and i go tell him and he's like well what were they giving you and i was like librium clonidine and he goes clonopins and i was like yes that's exactly what they were giving me but I know you I, knew you knew what i know were. what clonopins were yeah i had taken them recreationally and you previously. knew Okay, uh, so you're so just like, looking to get high it's like again. like Valiums or Xanax. Well, I thought that I could use enough of them to go to sleep. Uh, and so okay. then I also told them I was getting an Elevil, which is like an old school uh, nerve pill. Yeah, and yeah, And they'll yeah. put you out for days, which okay. is what I want to do. I want to sleep days away so that I can fucking Escape. feel better. Yeah. Right. And uh, so I make it through that. Now he, he writes me scripts for everything that I asked for. and uh, Which is not good. Not good. No, it's not good at all. He's just putting more uh, Band-Aids on, man. Well, so... What I Wait, did. A real quick question. Three or four days out, how far are you from seeing the light at the end of the tunnel with probably symptoms? Three or, probably three or four more days. Really? And before then you're... I'm really out of it. I could pro- I probably could have maybe drank some Sprite and ate some Little Debbies at that point. After know? like eight days of being clean. Well, no, after after like the fourth day, like the fifth day, I probably could have drank some Sprite and ate some Little Debbies, but you can't eat, you can't sleep. I might have slept a little bit on the fifth day, maybe two or three hours. Okay. Uh, but it's like it's like you, there's no escape from it other than pills. Well, anything. Any, yeah, something you know, mainly opiate narcotics. But you can mitigate some of that feeling a little bit with some you know Valium or Librium. But or that's whatever. that's gonna the prescriptions that he's writing you up. Those are gonna set you back days, correct? No, because none of them are an opiate narcotic. Okay. All right. Cool. Uh, it's it's only opiates. That's the only thing that really that really matters towards that. Okay. Anyway. Uh, yeah, all, all those pills weren't even necessarily meant to make all the symptoms go away, just to lessen them enough to where I didn't want to fucking kill myself yeah. anymore. Uh, so I get home with them, and uh, 
I make it through that day, and then the next day I wake up, and I just, I'm fucking ready to kill myself. And, yeah. and so what I did is I sold some of the Klonopins, and I go and buy dope. And as I go Because the Klonopins just aren't doing it. Right, they're not doing what I need them to. All I right, still yeah. want to kill myself. And so once I get the dope in my hand, now if you mix benzos and opiates, it's extremely dangerous. Yeah. Like, because it will fucking kill you. Uh, so I have two benzos. Uh, I have the the high milligram clonopins, which were two milligram clonopins. They were the biggest ones that I could get. Uh, I've got a bunch of those. I've got a bunch of Elevils, and I got a bunch of Librium. And then I have forty dollars worth of heroin after being clean for four or five days. Yeah. And the thought that I had was, I never have to do this again. Never. I never ever have to go through this again. So what I did is I took the whole rest of the bottle of Klonopin that I had, which was probably 10 or 12, and I took probably 15 of those Libriums, and I took five of the Elevils, and I gave it about half an hour to start kicking in, and then I did the dope. Because you're trying to kill yourself. Yeah, I knew it was done. Never have to do it again. And uh, I was in a a bathroom at the Frisch's at Mm -hmm. 5th and Philadelphia in Covington, and uh, at the time, my mother worked at Thomas More College, which is about... 25 minutes away from there mm-hmm. uh, i remember walking into that bathroom and then nothing yeah uh i woke up in the hospital uh i had been out long enough to where they found out who i was found out who my next of kin was notified my mother she was able to make it from work to the hospital and had been there long enough to take her coat off and her purse off and was sitting down when i woke up so we're talking an hour that I'm fucking out. My heart stopped on three different times during that hour. That's what they told me. They had to keep fucking hitting me with the shit that they used at the time. Uh, the defibrillators. Right. So uh, they're well, not that it wasn't a defi- it was a- adrenaline is what they were using. Oh, okay. Uh, or something like adrenaline. It's not. It wasn't Narcon. They didn't even have that. So you're coming and to then, that. So yeah. So I come to and uh, immediately I know that I have a probation violation. And I know that you I You were planning on being dead, though. Right, were, right, so yeah. No, but when I wake up, I'm mad as fuck, right? You, I am sick? so pissed off when I wake up. I'm not sick when I wake up. You're not. You're I'm, still high in dope? I'm high as a kite, yeah. Okay, all right. Plus all the nerve pills that I had taken. Man, all I was right. fucked up. But, right. but the thought that I had was, you got a probation violation. You know when they found you, you had drug paraphernalia. Motherfucker, run or you're going to jail. So I fucking yanked the tube up out of my throat. And the fucking shit up out of my nose. And I take the IV out. And I'm getting out of the bed. And a nurse comes in screaming her head off. Oh, my God. Stop. You can't go. Right. And fuck you, bitch. Yes, I can. (laughs) I don't want to be here. You got to. You motherfuckers brought me back against my will. Fuck you. I'll do what I want. And uh, so a cop walks in. Right. Because he had been standing outside the door this whole time. Unbeknownst to me. And he goes, look. He said, your mother's here. You almost died. You know, forever. Yeah. Uh. That's not exactly how he put it. He, you know, you came back once. He grabs you, you by know. the shirt, right? Uh, well, no, he's just standing. I, I stopped dead oh, in my tracks it. already. Yeah, 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 I'm, yeah. I'm not even out of the bed yet. I'm not okay. moving quick. Oh, uh, you haven't got out of the bed. I'm not even out of the bed. Oh, you're just I mean, try- it took a while to get that shit out of my throat. Totally. Like, yeah. Uh, so he says, "Look, do me. I'll make you a deal. Mm-hmm. Don't fight this." Stay here and do what the doctor tells you, and I will write a formal criminal complaint instead of taking you to jail today. Fuck it. You got a deal. You know what I mean? So what I does that up. do? What does that mean? Uh, do you have to go to it jail It meant that still? I had to go to court. Okay. Uh, but I didn't have to go there from jail. Basically like an OR bond without yeah. having to go through the process. Uh, I, so did not, do, I, I don't even it. know what that is. I don't even... I've OR even... means own recognizance. Okay. Meaning they believe that you'll come back to court. They don't need a cash or property bond. Got it. Uh, yeah. So uh, I didn't. I never made it to that court date. Yeah. Uh, the next day... Uh, well, actually, the night before that, <laughs> I say that I made it through that night, but I didn't really... Like, things got bad. Like, from taking all those nerve pills, mm-hmm. I'm acting crazy. Yeah. Family calls the cops. Uh, I fought with the cops in the front yard, and it took like four of them to get me into the car. And I made I I made it difficult for them. And uh, Man, why are you so why are you so agitated? Well, at the time I was completely out of my mind on on fucking Do you psychotropic it? drugs. I don't I don't remember don't, any. Oh of it. god, it this uh, is what people tell you. Yeah. Uh, okay. Jeez, man. So uh, that's crazy. 
so I, I I went to jail that night, and then the next day I got out, and that's when I went home and got the the pills and stuff and sold them and went and bought some dope and tried to kill myself. I successfully killed myself. Those motherfuckers brought me back. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like a failed attempt. Someone found you. Someone too soon. found me yeah. too soon, and uh, it was a fucking solid attempt. And I got fucked up. Yeah. Uh, which you know that that day I was upset. I was mad. I didn't want to be alive. Mm-hmm. Like even after I came to it, wasn't like oh thank God that didn't work. It was fuck you. I didn't ask for this. You know. And yeah, uh, like I was doing a thing here. Right. Yeah. And you guys came and fucked it up for me. Right. And uh, so that night. After I get out of the hospital, I go home and I, I slept like 18 hours. Mm-hmm. And uh, partly because of the nerve pills, partly because I'm days on end without sleep, you know, partly because of the heroin anyway. So I get woke up at like midnight with my probation officer kicking the couch with her pistol in my face. And the living room is just filled. I mean, standing room only, chest to chest or chest to back, shoulder to shoulder with Kenton County and Independence Police. And uh, she goes, are you ready? And I was like... It doesn't really look to me like I have much of a choice, you know. Yeah. And they took me to jail, and I served out a three-year prison sentence. Uh, yeah. So then when I got out, uh, and I got high the whole time I was locked up. Yeah. You know, I, it wasn't all heroin. It was Heroin was extremely rare. But nerve pills, pain pills, weed, whatever, you know, the whole time. And you were, It was enough to keep you addicted to drugs for three years? I mean, if you don't treat your drug addiction, no. I mean... not taking anything like if you take an addict and you put him in a cell by himself and don't let him take drugs for two years when he gets out the disease is not gone still there really and it's still active if it hasn't been treated so when you warehouse addicts all you're really doing the only good it does for society is that particular addict can't cause trouble in society for that period of time but unless they get some kind of treatment as soon as they're out it's off to the races so the physical effects of drug withdrawal really have nothing to do with the addiction right uh if we never took the first drink or the first drug all that other shit is purely academic yeah you know what i mean it's mm-hmm. all none of it matters it's it the problem the crux of the problem is is the first one which is why you'll hear the phrase one is too many a thousand is never enough yeah you know, it's the first one. So how do I stop myself from take? Because I don't. I lack the ability. I'll. I'll be like on autopilot. You know what I mean? Like I don't want to do this thing that I'm doing, but I'm doing it. It's like a. It's so. It's, it's, it's a just mental your obsession, brain, man. Yeah, it's a mental obsession, and, and and that's where the, you know, the disease centers in the mind. Yeah. Because the physical side of it, if you don't take the first one, is not even a question. You know, it's only once you put it in you that the physical side becomes part of the equation. And even not that big a part of the equation. Uh, yes and no. You know, I mean, there's definitely a chemical reaction in the yeah. body. And the way that an addict or an alcoholic's mind and and an alcoholic, specifically the liver and the enzymes work, uh, it's a chemical process. Yeah. You can't will that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I liken it to, to uh, eating a full box of X-Lax and then willing yourself not to shit. You know what I mean? Once the chemical mm. process has started, your mind cannot stop it. So once you put alcohol really? in you, the physical craving becomes a real craving. Yeah. You know? Wow. So it's in it, and it's attached, you know, basically to the survival instinct. That's how the brain operates. As soon as you feel that first effect, it's not even feel it. It's knowing you drank it. Okay. The way the human body is not even knowing is now what I'm saying here. When I say chemical process, I, I mean it. I don't mean the way that you feel or the way that you think. I mean, the real chemical process, the way the human body breaks down alcohol, and this is everybody. When you drink it, it goes to the stomach, it absorbs to the bloodstream, it mm-hmm. hits the liver, the liver releases enzymes, which convert it from alcohol to acetaldehyde. And then there are more enzymes released, which can make, convert it from acetaldehyde to diacetic acid. And then there are, I might have those two backwards, but those are the two for sure. We had no one knows anyway, diacetic yeah. acid. Uh, and then from there, more enzymes are released, which convert the you know that product into acetone and acetate and then there are which is fucking fingernail polish remover and then there are more mm-hmm. enzymes released which can convert that to sugar water and carbon dioxide mm-hmm. now that conversion to carbon dioxide is breathed out and that's how you fail a breathalyzer test even if your breath doesn't smell like what you were drinking 
Right. And then you are literally breathing out alcohol because of the way the human body breaks it down. It's not because of what's in your mouth. Right. There's no way to really beat a breathalyzer test because of that. And then at some point in that process is when you feel or when you well, just it's not know. even feel. Okay. So here's what happens. Uh, alcoholism being an allergy mm-hmm. to alcohol uh, and an allergy, the definition of allergy, because people are stupid and they're going to say, well, I don't break out. I don't get itchy. An allergy is an abnormal reaction to any food or chemical substance. The insane craving for alcohol is the abnormal response. Right. You know, it's not it's not normal. It, uh, so so they posed in the 30s that it was uh, an allergy. Yeah. Uh, it's been called alcoholism has been called a disease as far back as 1785. Yeah. Which it was Dr. Benjamin Rush, who is one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. Since then, they've done a ton of research. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the acid out of high diacetic acid and acetone are poisonous, right? It, it, the liver in an alcoholic, the enzymes are fucked up, right? So it will create more of those poisonous things, but not have enough of the enzymes to change it to sugar, water, and carbon dioxide. So the brain feels threatened. We have all this uh, poison in us, and we can't make any more of these enzymes unless we have more alcohol to convert into those enzymes. To, or to force the liver to, to release more of those enzymes. And this is the case with per every alcoholic. This is alcoholism for the real alcoholic. Now, okay. There are people who are heavy drinkers who like are problem drink. drinkers, yeah. okay. but given the stern warning of a doctor or falling in love, you know, whatever yeah. the operative intervention in their life is, they yeah. can either stop or moderate. The real alcoholic does not have the ability to moderate. Is the genetic... It's physical. Yeah. It's a physical chemical reaction. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like survival instinct. Yeah. You know what I mean? The brain says we need more of these enzymes. The only way it remembers how to get them is through more alcohol. So, so which you're is like why poisoning you mean, yourself, but your brain tells you put you more poison to. in. You have to, yeah. And it's it's a physical survival instinct. It's not, I want another drink. You know what I mean? It's It's the same reason that people who are underwater try to breathe and drown. Yeah. Because the body needs... Th- to complete that process of breathing, yeah. you know, uh, which is why you'll find some people, uh, the easiest way to spot an alcoholic, yeah. especially someone who's like pre-alcoholic or starting, you know, to, mm-hmm. uh, there's definitely a genetic predisposition, but some people become alcoholics. Yeah. You know what I mean? They don't start off that way. Uh, so someone who's probably making it there, you'll see if they have one or two drinks, they can go home and go to bed. But if they have three or four, they're fucking drinking until they pass out because their brain will not allow them to do anything differently. So the brain has to hit that point with the amount of alcohol right. to say. There's actually an equation. Yeah. One drink equals one craving. Yeah. And then you put another one in you, and that's one drink plus another drink equals two cravings. Right. Two Or two craving increments, they call it. Uh, so the more you want it, yeah. And then three is those two plus one. You know, so the more you drink, the more you crave it because the more out of balance the Your body liver, chemistry yeah. is. Right. So. Wow, man. That's. Yeah. And it, it is it that way just alcohol or is because you're I mean, you were addicted to everything. Um, You know, there were certain things that I could do in moderation. OK. Then when I was using, I do not believe that I could safely use any of those things now. Okay, so uh, so the alcoholism is almost a little bit disconnected it is, it, from it. It is a little different. Yeah, uh, but here's the thing. Now this is what we believe, and okay. this is the from the type of recovery that I went through, which I'm unwilling to to give a name to it. But mm-hmm. uh, we believe that you know the the mental part of drug addiction and alcoholism is is, is the same. The mental obsession to drink and use is the same, and it's mm-hmm. caused by a spiritual illness. Yeah. A psychic illness, you know. Oh, totally. I not agree. necessarily emotional, not necessarily mental, but that personality. You know, whatever you call the personality, the soul, the heart, whatever you call it. You know, from whatever spiritual or metaphysical understanding of human life that you have. You know, something like almost just mystic, unexplicable. Right. You know, the soul or the 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 ego or the it or whatever yeah. Floyd called it. You know, that part. That part is sick. And okay. 
if that part finds that it can uh, find a chemical solution to its problem, it will pursue that to the gates of insanity or death. Yeah. Yeah. Which I pursued it to both. Yeah, to find the... <laughs> How do you feel? I guess <clears throat> we better wrap up soon, but I things I wanted to... Um, let's talk about... I want to talk about that, um, but I want to... I, Make a note. I want to talk about how you feel now with that part of your, um, you know, because obviously if your id or your whatever, your my soul, energy, my personality yeah, yeah, is sick, now you're not trying to well, I've heal treated, yourself. I've treated that disease. And how? I continue to treat that disease through, uh, through many enlargements of my spiritual life, for a lack of a better way to put it. Uh, What's that look like? It looks like I made a list of everyone that I was ever mad at. Yeah. And why they, what they did to me to make me mad at them, and then what part of my life it affected. Uh, yeah. You know, personal security, social. And when I say social security, I don't mean like Got SSI, but like yeah. uh, the security of my social place in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, personal relations. Does it affect my sexual relationships? Does mm-hmm. it affect me financially? You know, uh, and I listed all that out. And then I listed out everyone I had wronged yeah. and what I did to them. And in that instance, was I selfish? Was I self-seeking? Was I dishonest? Was I afraid? Like what area of my, of my mind caused, not necessarily caused me, but was a motivator in that? Yeah. Because I need to know why I do certain things. Right. And Analyzing your behavior and right. your emotions. Yeah. Taking inventory just like a business would. Yeah. You know, some of these goods we can sell, some of them we, we cannot, and right. they must just be thrown away. Uh, and then I made a list of all my fears. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, what am I afraid of? Why am I afraid of it? And what should I do Yeah. instead? And then uh, I took that list of people that I was mad at, and I added those people to the list of people that I had done wrong to. Mm-hmm. And I went out to every one of them and I made amends, the ones that I could find. Right. And uh, the way that that process looks like is this. I was given a script. Because as human beings, we tend to try to rationalize and justify our behavior. Uh, so I was given a script to stop me from doing that. You know what I mean? To just say sorry. Yeah, and it's not just sorry. It's, uh, hi, my name is Jay and I currently live a lifestyle which requires me to make right certain wrongs that I may have done in my past. May I speak to you? And then I shut my fucking mouth. And if they say yes, I continue. If they say no, I come back in a year. Uh, but if they say yes, I say this is the harm that I'm clear on. And mm-hmm. then in a way that does not re-victimize them or make it seem like I think that I have power over them in any way, I state that. Like say, uh, say I stole money from somebody. Yeah. I was dishonest with money and I was forceful with money. Not I robbed you. Yeah. Because that re-victimizes them. And the point here is to make right what I did wrong, not just to clear my conscience. It's to, to it's to heal their heart. That's the goal. Got it. The the good things that come out of it are a side benefit for me. It's not. Yeah, you're they're gonna not the do goal. right by them, not you. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so then I say, this is the harm that I'm clear on, and then I list it in a way that doesn't re-victimize them, and then I say, is there any harm that I'm unclear on? And then I shut my fucking mouth, and I listen to whatever they have to say, uh, which is where the, the pain comes from. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I learned know. a lot of a lot of damage that I did, especially to people that loved me that I had no idea. You know? So they tell you. Right. And, you know, we ex- as drug addicts and alcoholics, we always say, I'm not hurting anybody but myself, and that's the biggest fucking lie in the world. Yeah. We're fucking destroying our families. Uh, so then after they list that, I say, what can I do to make it right? Mm-hmm. And whatever they tell me, I, uh, I do immediately. Uh, yeah. and accepting an instance, if they say, blow your brains out or set yourself on fire. Right. And in that instance, I go back to my spiritual advisor and we discuss whether or not that's necessary, but like, we don't dismiss it out of hand. Right. Interesting. So you, you got to even take that sort of... Take it into consideration. Yeah. Because uh, they could be serious. Right. Yeah, they could be. And it Probably, could be what yeah. I deserve. Mm-hmm. But I don't live in a world where people get where they deserve. Right? I, I don't. If I got what I deserved, I wouldn't even be here. I'm here through, through through the grace and mercy of a power that I cannot comprehend or explain. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, mercy is not getting what you do deserve, and grace is getting what you don't deserve. Yeah, man grace and mercy that's it man if it's a hard dude i don't know it's hard to uh 
Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Grace and mercy don't make sense. They don't. None of it makes sense. That's why they call it a miracle. Yeah. Wow, man. So, how do you feel now? Like, you, I mean, at the beginning, so at like the beginning of your journey, you started out terrified and afraid and alone and different looking for an answer uh you know what man i would like to give you this great thing about how i'm not afraid or i don't want to hear it i think the truth is that i've gained a level of apathy i just don't fucking care anymore i I think i don't care what people think about me yeah uh i do care what people do to each other because i know what that pain is yeah you know what i mean and I, i don't want anyone to feel that anymore but I'm definitely not as important as I was to me anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I think your own suffering is kind of almost irrelevant to you now. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I think dude, and people talk about this all the time, but I think your life gets better the less concerned you are about yourself and the more you invest in other people and you want to watch them succeed. Right. Well, most of it, uh, I know what joy is like. Mm-hmm. And not only do I know what joy is like, I know what joy is like in comparison to sheer terror. Yeah. Uh, so I I live vicariously through people. You know what I mean? It, mm-hmm. uh, to a certain extent. Like, I, I experience my own joy. Like, I have a, an amazing life that I never deserved. Right. And I'm happier than I've ever been. Yeah. Uh, but when I get the opportunity to help somebody... And it actually helps them. Yeah. And they're happy about it, regardless of how appreciative they are. It makes me feel good. Really? You know? And, and uh, so, uh, so yeah, I try to I try to help people, you know? And, yeah. and co- comedy is a, is a very much so like a Hunger Games fucking survival style fucking full contact sport a lot of the time. How so? Uh, people will stab you in the back to take what you have once you start oh, getting stuff. it's like stuff. show business. It's just, yeah. yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it's business. It absolutely yeah. is. And... It's a business that's not super explanatory in the way that things work. Yeah. So someone will see some, that somebody's getting something and they didn't even know it existed before or it was possible for someone of that level to get it. Yeah. So they will try to snake it from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I've had, you know, trying to help people out come back and bite me a couple of times. Yeah. Um, but I, st- you know, I-, I have gone through periods where I'm like, "Fuck that! I'm not helping anybody. I'm not giving a word for anybody anywhere that I get work." No good deed goes unpunished, right? Yeah. Uh, but once that pain goes away or that anger, because I still right. experience anger, I still experience all yeah. the human emotions. I'm not a robot, like yeah. I, like I would like to be. Yeah. Uh, so once that subsided and I was able to do enough inventory on it and uh, you know make my peace with it, you know I. <laughs> I, I like to, to to help as much as I can. You know yeah. what I mean? And uh, what I love, one of my favorite things in the world is people judge me uh, by the way that I look. And yeah. like, You're uh, scary. Yeah, some people I, think I, that I'm scary. I thought you were scary when I first met you. Uh, and then like I make jokes that are like super harsh and dark. Yeah. So that kind of reinforces it a little bit. Yeah. And then... Uh, Again, my experience with you. When I, when I help someone get something <laughs> yeah. that they didn't even ask for, like the look on their face is yeah. fucking priceless, man. Yeah. Like that is so worth it. Uh, I'm definitely not the guy that I look like. Now, see, here's the thing. Like I look scary and it's, it's a look that I, I've cultivated over a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason I, that I wanted to look scary uh, is because if you don't talk to me, you can't hurt me. Interesting. It's not out of being tough. It's out, of, being, it's out, of, it's yeah. out of fear. It's all, almost all my decisions that I made prior to recovery yeah. We're almost all based in fear. Almost all of them. Terrified little boy running through the world, scared to death. Yeah. Wow, man. But I've, you know, I've suffered all those consequences. I've suffered all those things that I was afraid of. Yeah. You know, so I'm not so afraid anymore. You've seen it. <laughs> right. You've seen the monster. I know what it's, well, I mean, and, and I've seen the monster that is the world and I've, I've felt it. You know what I mean? I mm-hmm. know what it feels like to have a cop kick you in the face. You know what I mean? I know what it feels like to fight a grown man. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so that pain of getting hit in the face is no longer scary to me. I'm, fami- I'm familiar it. with yeah. it. You know, it's comforting to me almost. For real? Cop kicking you in the face? Well, I don't mean just necessarily a police officer, but physical violence. Like, it's it's familiar to me. It's something I understand. That is There's weird. There's a definite winner and a definite loser in that situation. 
Dude, that's a man. That's a discussion for another podcast <laughs> for people being comfortable with a negative experience. Well, yeah, we become, uh, especially alcoholics and drug addicts, we become very uh, self-destructive, and that's because we're comfortable in the negative experience, which that's is why nuts. you have these guys who are alcoholics and drug addicts, and then they get some money, you know, some fame, and they gamble it all away because they don't feel like they deserve it in the first place. They deserve punishment and retribution for the things that they've done. So they're just uncomfortable with it, so they get up. Yeah. It, it, you get to a point where you're more comfortable in the negative experience than the positive experience. Because there's at times when I get things that, that are good, yeah. I don't know how to react. Yeah, you're almost guilty. Yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah dude. Like, I keep a lot of stuff quiet, you know, because yeah. I don't know how to say it without, you know, like the Rock on the Range thing I was super excited about, and I, you know, I posted that. But uh, most of the stuff that I, I'm just quiet about it. You know what I mean? Because I don't yeah. know how to uh, say it in a way that's, that doesn't seem like, ha-ha, this is what I got that you don't. Because I'm not used to having good things happen right. to me. I don't know how to share my joy with people. It's hard, though, too. A lot of times, I mean, I feel like those could be two different things. Just you not wanting to rub, seem like you're rubbing it in people's faces. But then also the aspect of some people would just sabotage themselves, man. Yeah, no, absolutely. They just like they figure they get drunk before the show and screw it up because that's where that's yeah, where they no, like that to absolutely be. happens. And in the the first book that I read about alcoholism, it described the alcoholic as someone who has a positive genius for getting drunk at exactly the wrong moment. Self destructive people, man. I don't know. I don't. I don't have it. I don't get it. But they're out there, man. I've seen them. But well, yeah, man, dude, this has been this has been an awesome podcast. I think we actually have two podcasts in here. Right on, yeah. I think you could break it up pretty close to the middle. Yeah, I think I'm gonna do the drug, the like you like us talking shit about politics, and then do your story. So yeah, this will be good. You got any? Uh, you got tons of stuff to plug, man. Uh, how quick do you get stuff up usually? This will be probably Monday. Monday. Yeah. Uh, next Friday, which is May 13th, uh, I'm doing a show at this place called YOLO's Pizza Buffet and Frozen Treats uh, to benefit uh, the podcasting network that my podcast is on to pay all the hosting fees and whatnot. So oh, cool. Come out to that. The show is free. Uh, just be a real person and buy something at the restaurant. Yeah, just be you a know, patron. Whether it be a drink or some food or whatever it is. Um, Where's that at? It's in Independence, Kentucky. It's in my hometown. Okay, cool. Uh, Yolo's Pizza Buffet and Frozen Treats. It's a frozen yogurt pizza place. It now, sounds good. The buffet will not be open, but you can just order pizza. Okay. You know, because at a certain time of the day, the buffet shuts down. It becomes like a regular pizza and chicken. Right on. Lunch buffet. Right. I get it. Uh, and then also, uh, you know, they got the full bar and all that. So it's free to get in. It'll be fun. It's cool. it's me. It's Rob Wilfong, Billy DeVore. Uh, Bruce Leonard and uh, and uh, Vincent Savage. It's nice. He just took a stage name and I had to remember what it was. Okay. For a second. Uh, but yeah, it'll be a super good time. Uh, you can find my website, which is J Arm Comedy J A R M Comedy dot Wix W I X dot com slash J Arm Comedy because I'm too fucking cheap. I'll, to I'll put it the, on the website. Domain name. Yeah. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, J Arm Comedy, but that's J A Y arm comedy because i'm fucking stupid and then uh you know instagram facebook jay armstrong comedy find me uh anything that i'm doing will be on there nice you know plug the podcast man uh, the podcast is called out of step and you can link to that through the website which uh it's it's a pretty cool like i built a website through wix and so i've seen it the thing that i say is cool about it is that it's very intuitive Mm -hmm. and the builder is and it's free uh, plug you, wix dog hey wix is it man yeah okay uh, so well here's the thing and we're actually a, sponsored by squarespace so squarespace I'm right on this out. Yeah. Really. <laughs> go ahead no. but yeah. uh i've never tried squarespace but i hear it's similar they you know, look good like squarespace with, looks good like with the uh the intuitiveness of the the web builder uh there's a lot of comics that kind of are lazy and just don't do it yeah. And I know a lot of comedians listen to this podcast. Go to one of those places, you cheap, lazy fucks, mm-hmm. and just put one together. Because yeah. bookers a lot of time will ask for 
you know, a website, mm-hmm. and you look like a fucking amateur when you put your Facebook address. Yeah, I got joeybertoff.com. Sweet. I got to buy a domain. Mm-hmm. I got to. I just have been cheap. Yeah, man. They're, I mean, just go daddy, baby. That's what I'm going to do. That's who our, our, uh, our podcast, like the whole podcast network, all four of them, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm only on one, but the Kentucky Hot Brown Boys podcast is hosted on GoDaddy, and mm-hmm. then the domain name's bought from GoDaddy, which I'm going to buy mine and then host it with them. I'm, I'm leaving Wix. But, uh, GoDaddy's the best, though. Yeah, I as far as their domain names and yeah. hosting and stuff, yeah, they do great service, oh, man. The only thing yeah. that I don't like is that they don't track it super well, like the usage. Like, they don't give you the stats of, like, when and where. SoundCloud's the best for that. Right, but SoundCloud oh is... The, uh, it's, you can't get to iTunes and Stitcher with SoundCloud. I do. Do you? I'm on SoundCloud, yeah. Just give it the RSS feed. We'll figure it out. All right, yeah. Um, we have to add that to the RSS feed. Yeah, I man. I got you. Uh, awesome. Well, thanks a lot, Jay. This has been an awesome show. Thanks for having me, man. It's a good time. Of course. Later.